0: Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Wednesday, October 28th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. we got a lot to get to on today's show with professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. We will be talking college football on today's show, but we're also going to talk about the 2020 election, specifically the presidential election, talking about some of the bets that Kyle's made on it so far, talking about his strategy, kind of comparing that with the sports betting market. All those kinds of things. I will put timestamps in the recap and the episode descriptions if you don't want to hear the election stuff, because I know a lot of people just don't really want to deal with all this political stuff here this year. But we did want to talk about it. We ran a poll last week on Kyle's Twitter. It was 60% yes, 40% no that we talk a little bit about the election. So we'll do that here to start off today's show. Then we'll do college football in the second part of today's show. And as I said, I will timestamp that in the recap article and the episode description across all of the podcast platforms. Over at ATS.io, we encourage you to check out all the written content that we have, picks and predictions, top sportsbook promotions, sportsbook reviews. There are four states that have sports betting on the ballot next Tuesday. Uh, Those are Maryland, Louisiana, Nebraska, and South Dakota. We got some stuff on our state pages for those four states about that. And I also encourage you to check out the ATS app, which you can find in the Apple Play, or in the Apple Store, in the Google Play Store. Our ATS app does include article integration from the website. It's a bet tracker. You can scan the odds at some of the different U.S. sportsbooks. It is a great and powerful tool to have in the palm of your hand with your smartphone. So we encourage you to download that ATS app either in the Apple Store, in the Google Play Store, or you can find the links over at ATS.io. With that, we bring on professional, better, and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And Kyle, how's it going today, man?
1: Going pretty good, man. Staying pretty busy, but uh, can't complain. Yeah, definitely staying busy, that's for sure.
0: Six days away from the election, and, uh, you know, you're handicapping the sports markets. I'm sure you're gearing up for college basketball a little bit here as well, but still handicapping the election markets. and. Again, I understand this isn't everybody's cup of tea, but we did want to talk about it and certainly you know, maybe the most polarizing presidential election in most of our lifetimes here this year. So there are some opportunities to bet on it, but I guess the point where we start here, Kyle, is how did you get started with, with betting on politics and, and betting on the presidential election specifically?
1: Yeah, and I'll start this by saying that you know we're not going to talk you know politics wh- which way we want to uh, to lean on things or things like that. We're really just trying to talk about uh, how you might be able to make some money betting on the election because you know this is this is for me an investment. It's not a uh, you know I want to get into politics big time. Honestly, when we get in the the next two to four years and and there's no election, I'm not going to be. Thinking anything about politics. I want to stay as far away as I can from politics. Uh, Adam twisted my arm and made me talk about the election today. No, I'm, I'm really joking, but um, it's it's one of those things where I, I have had a lot of people reach out to me and ask, um, you know, what what do you think you can make money with in, in the election? And, um, you know, just to give you a kind of a background here, uh, I started on a site called InTrade in 2008. I've been wagering on the elections since the 2008 election, Um, That site went under after 2012. And since then, I've wagered on all the midterms, primaries, general elections on Predict It. I've made most of my profit from live betting the election. Um, You know, what you can do there is state by state election betting is really where most of the money is made. You can watch the returns come in, look at demographic changes, look at how those counties did before, um, try to get an edge. Um, Look, a lot of people overreact to early early results. And I'll say that that's a good way to start. It's just saying that uh, we we talk about that in sports betting all the time. And it also applies in the election. You know, there's many people that that see one or 2% of the votes counted, and a certain candidate is ahead. um, You know, lots of states have counties that are very democratic and lots and also very Republican. So you have to be really careful depending on where those votes are coming in from. Um, That's a good way to look at it. But you know, my past is I do make bets um, before the election as well. I've made more of my money live betting the election. I do think that this year will be a little bit trickier live betting the election because there's been so much early vote, um, so much absentee ballots compared to normal. I know some of the states have had uh, turnout that already matches what they had four years ago, just in early vote, which really uh, speaks to how motivated both sides are here in this election. Yeah, it
0: definitely does. In fact, I went early voted yesterday, actually. Um, as you said, you've been betting this on Predict It, and this is a show centered on U.S. sports books. I want to make that very, very clear. If you do want to wager on the election, there are global markets where you can do that but predict it is fully legal so we will try to mention predict it as much as we possibly can there are some lines out there that we may talk about just for the sake of comparison purposes or a frame of reference something like that that are available out there in the global markets uh, if those are things that you do decide that you want to partake in but You know, I think taking emotion out of it is a really important thing to talk about because, you know, I know you and I both have our political stances and our political beliefs. But what we see oftentimes in these markets, I know you talked about this a lot in some of the notes that you sent over, is that there is a lot of emotion that drives this betting market. A lot of people want to bet on their candidate to win, regardless of which side they're on, regardless of which states they're betting on. There is a ton of emotion and a ton of bias in this betting market. And like you said, we talk all the time about trying to take advantage of overreactions in the sports betting world where, yeah, you know, you may see a lot of Ohio state money come in because there are a lot of Ohio state fans in let's say, you know, a big game, something like that. Let's say the Las Vegas bowl, you know, one team travels really well to that. They're going to go to the sports books and bet on their team. But for the most part, You don't get a ton of emotion in the sports betting market relative to the election market. So that's why when we talk about all of these things, regardless of what Kyle and I believe politically, regardless of what we've believed politically in past elections, this is about interpreting the data, about using the information that's out there and turning a profit because money can be made with election betting, to say the least.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think emotion. Uh, this is what you're alluding to. Emotion is so much more prevalent in election betting than it is in sports betting. It's it's really almost. I mean, it's your life. Right, right. I mean, it's um, and there are so many people that are so hardcore one way or the other. It does make it a lot easier for me that I'm not not really a Biden guy, not really a Trump guy. So it's easier to stay neutral um, when you when you are that way. However, you know, I've been able to do that even in the past when I do like one candidate or the other, you know, to me, it's, it's about making money. Um, you know, I'm looking at data, I'm looking at statistics, um, just as much as I am in the sports betting market, uh, in some cases, even more. And I, I really do think that um, it's good that we're talking about this, because I think it's easier uh, to make money in the election betting markets than it is to make money in the sports betting markets, and I honestly don't think it's very close. Now I've done really well uh, sports betting wise in the long run, but the election markets are definitely softer markets. These are these are markets where we're having way too many people bet uh, w- what they want to bet rather than what they really should be betting. So it really presents an opportunity for those of you who you know just want to look at numbers. Um, do things such as look at polling averages and historical trends and things like that. And obviously, you know, we can touch on it here as we go forward. Polls are not perfect. We've seen that before. We saw that in 2016. At the same time, um, polls are important. You know, if you don't want to look at polls at all, you're probably not going to do very well in this because, you know, you only have so many data points to look at currently and a lot can change in four years. So um, that's something where, where you need to uh, just, make sure that you uh look at a lot of the the numbers that you have available to you and uh do as much as you can to to be prepared for it like i said you can either live bet it like is where i've made most of my money uh or you can you know, take uh, positions before things start, um, you know, predict it's a great place to do that. Uh, There's several great money-making opportunities on there. There are also uh, markets out there globally that that you can get some pretty good uh, numbers at as well. So I think we can talk a little bit about both.
0: So let's talk a little bit here about strategy first, and and we'll kind of start talking about some specific states and what we think, you know, overall on a macro level happens here. But you mentioned the polls, and I've got a handful of questions for you on this. It's something I've always followed. I was much more interested in politics, uh, you know, back 10, 15 years ago than I would say I am now, although, you know, with an election that that means so much for so many people, it is something I've been following uh, quite a bit more closely here in 2020. But I guess my question would be, just in general, you know, how accurate are the polls? I mean, what is it that you do to try and remove bias? Because... Look, when I sit there and I think about polling, my first question is, is this an accurate representation of the voters as a whole? You know, are they covering a wide variety of demographics? Are they covering rural versus urban representation? You know, are there people that are maybe unwilling to admit that they're voting for a certain candidate, something like that? So how accurate do you find the polls to be and and what do you sort of do to attempt to, you know, cause we talk about all the time with sports betting, how you want to try and take as much variance out of it as you can. What do you try to do to remove as much bias as you can from the polling numbers?
1: Well, a couple of things you can do about this is one, um, you can look up and see some of these polls specifically are for Democratic um, consultants or for Republican consultants. And obviously, if you're releasing this and you're a Republican firm or you're a Democratic firm, you don't want to put out a poll that looks really bad for your candidate. So um, you can find ones like that. I know that um, if you go to Um, 538. Um, I know that um, Nate Silver was blasted quite a bit for how he did last election, but he does a pretty good job of of breaking down which polls uh, lean toward Republicans and which polls lean toward Democrats. Um, there are some polls that are clearly much better than others. Um, I know that the New York Times has had some good polls, and I know that a lot of people think it leans Democratic. Their polls have been very good. They're, they're rated very well. Fox News the same way. Fox News, I know, uh, leans Republican. Their polls have been very good they've been very fair on those, so those are a couple of polls that you want to wait more more than some of the others. The other thing I think you should do is if you're if you want to be really serious and bet a lot of money on this, you should look at the demographics of what the poll has. You know you can actually look and see each state you know what what percentage of of people in that state. Are white? What percentage of uh, people in that state are African American, Asian American, things like that. You can look at men, women. Sometimes the polling people have weighted it too strongly toward one thing or another. And if those are going to vote uh, more Democratic or more Republican on average, then you kind of have to almost unskew the polls a little bit. So I think that's another good way to do it. Now, another
0: thing that I kind of wondered about here, and, you know, again, we can we could go into a lot of, uh, you know, things with what happened with 2016, and we will do that uh, as we, you know, compare sort of 2016 to 2020, because I think a lot of people are wondering if things kind of play out the same way. But, you know, some things that I started looking up here today, for example, the state of Texas has gone Republican every election since 1976, Oklahoma and Kansas Republican every year since 1964. Mississippi, Republican every year since 1976. California, Democrat every year since 92. The New England states are almost exclusively Democrat across the board, as we know. Washington, D.C., Democrat every election since 1964. Illinois, the last eight since 1988, they've gone Democrat. Minnesota's Democrat every year since 1976. New York, Democrat every year since 1984. So, do you just sort of expect these things to continue and go ahead and, you know, lay some bigger prices for, you know, say Democrats to win Illinois, Democrats to win Minnesota, Republican to win Texas. Do you just you know, lay some big numbers and take things that you'll know, look like they're near locks?
1: Yeah, there, there are a couple of those that I think are trending in a different direction. Texas is going to be a lot closer than it has been in the past. It's been uh, well noted to be strongly Republican in the past. There are some, very democratic counties now, such as uh, Travis County, where Austin is, uh, that, you know, the voting there so far, the early vote has really come in very heavily. You would think that would help Biden here this year. Um, Travis County already has more votes um, than what they had in the election in 2016, just from early voting. So we haven't even gotten to election day and they're already at more votes. I think that's going to be a much closer state. I do think though, in general, Uh, When betting the election, you know, I always talk about there are no locks in sports betting. There are some locks or or damn near locks in in elections. And um, there are some this year that are definitely locks. And there are some that are that are close to it that I think are priced much too low. Um, Maybe we can get into specifics here in a little bit. But um, I think that you have to be willing to lay a price when you bet elections. I'm not willing to lay a money line minus 1000 or minus 700 in something like college football or college basketball. It's never going to happen. In the elections I am, I definitely will. Um if it's priced at minus 750 and it should be priced at minus 2000, it's still a value bet, you know. And uh, we've talked about that before that um, it's not just what the price is that you should just exclude it if it's over minus 200 or something. It's what the price of it should be. So um, if if it, the implied percentage is 88% and you think the chance of it winning is 99%, it's a good bet. You should bet it. Um, I think that's really, really important in elections betting because uh, the reason that is the case is they can only put a number so high. Because people who are on that side of the candidate that's going to lose in that want to say, well, I'm going to take a long shot bet on my candidate to win this state. And what they're really doing is they're just throwing away money. So uh, you got to want to make sure that if you take those underdog bets, you be careful about how big of an underdog you're taking because uh, we can tell what, what state is going to vote for what candidate in most of these. There's a few battleground states. A lot of them are easily predictable.
0: Well, and that's the thing, you know, and, and I mean, this isn't going to show any bias whatsoever or anything like that. Biden will win California. It doesn't really matter what the price is on a state like California. Biden will win California. Biden will win New York State. And that's the thing, you know, if you are willing to lay some of the max limits that are out there, or at least something that's, you know, worth your while. That's essentially free money. I mean, there's no such thing as free money in sports betting. We've seen, you know, 40-point favorites get upset in college football, 35-point favorites, stuff like that. We've seen 25-point favorites get picked off in college basketball. Those things happen. In the, in the election markets, those things don't happen.
1: No, it's not going to happen. And you you could say definitely Biden's going to win California. Biden's going to win New York. Trump's going to win West Virginia. Trump's going to win Alabama, states like that. And if you want to look globally in the marketplace, there are far worse bets you can make than taking Biden to win California, Biden to win New York, Trump to win Alabama, Trump to win West Virginia, things like that. Because let's think about it. We've got one week till you get your money back. Uh, in in states like this, and your payoff is going to be really nice. You want to take money to a bank and try to get a CD or open up a savings account or uh, something like that. You're going to get paid nothing. You know, there's 0.50% or something if you're lucky. So if you want a sure bet, which those are sure bets, it's really a great way to look at it. I mean, it's a really quick return at this point. I wouldn't want to delay that price six months ago because then your money's just tied up. But now when you're six days until the election, I think it makes a big difference. And I do think that there can really be some good value uh, on ones like that, like I said, because there's only so high that they can put the price because there's always going to be people on the other side that say, I want to take a long shot when they really shouldn't be doing that. So is, is that just sort of your approach? I mean, do you take a very risk averse approach to this then? So on the, on the pre-election positions, I um, Fairly risk averse. Um, my bigger risks are on election night when I'm taking the, the live betting. Um, you know, the pre-election positions for me, uh, I want to be fairly risk averse and I want to be. Like what are some of them you've played already, I guess I would say. Yeah. So margin of error um, on these. Obviously, there's margin of error on polls. But if the poll, um, the lowest poll is showing a candidate up by 20 and the, the highest poll is showing him up by 35. They're going to win that state. So some of the positions I've taken here already um, in states like this are, I have taken New Mexico to go Biden, Democratic. Uh, You can get that at minus 750. That implied odds about 88 point some percent. All the major models have this one about 99% for Biden. So um, this is not 100% Biden, but I I think this would be an absolute stunner. It'd probably be the biggest upset we've seen um, at all here in the last, you know, 20 years in elections if Biden lost New Mexico. So I think that's a really good bet at minus 750. Like I said, I know that's laying quite a bit. On the other, uh, also on that side, as far as uh, Democrats win California, you can get minus fifteen hundred to minus two thousand at several major books. I know that's a big price, but this is the biggest loss lock we're ever going to give out—not lock, biggest lock we'll ever give out on ATS Radio. I never use the word lock. I don't like to say that at all. Um, like I said, this is this is something though that that really is a lock. It's not going to lose. Uh, New York the same way. I, I, I bet it. I bet California for a small amount. I also bet New Jersey -1600. Um, some others that I took on predict it. Um, I took on predict it uh, Trump to win West Virginia a while back. That price has really gotten out of the out of the way. So I mean out of control. It's you know I got about 85 cents on the dollar. Now it's about 95 cents. I wouldn't take it at 95 cents because you also have to remember something that I want to point out. Predict it has a lot more fees. So um, they take a percentage of what you earn. And then at the end, when you take out your money, they take 5% of it. So um, you want to remember that if the price is similar at a major sports book that it is on Predict it, you want to bet it on the sports book because they're not going to have the same fees that you have on Predict it. So that's important too. Um, The other one that I bet, um, which I bet some uh, at a book and also on predict it pretty heavily is Biden to win Michigan. Um, I don't think Michigan's going to go to Trump again. I think there's quite a few things that that went um, Trump's way before. Turnout was really poor for Clinton. Some of the areas around Detroit that are heavily Democratic, you can see that the votes that she got were very much lower numbers than what um, Obama got before in both elections. I don't think that's going to happen again. I think that um, a lot of people are motivated because, you know, it's anybody but Trump vote there. So, Uh, I think Michigan to go Democratic is a good one as well. And that one's one where you're going to be laying, um, you know, if you if you take it on predicted, it's a lot cheaper than if you take it at the sports book. You can get 65 cents on the dollar. I think this one should probably be 85 or 90 cents. So I think that's a really good price there. Well, and, and when we think about Michigan, look, Michigan had gone Democratic
0: six straight times before going to Trump last year, 16 electoral votes there in Michigan. The other battleground states, the ones that people are very interested in, Obviously, Florida, a big state to get 29 electoral votes. They went Obama twice. Then they went back to Trump last or in the last election. We'll see what they wind up doing here in this one. Pennsylvania could very well be the one that decides the election. 20 electoral votes there. They went six straight times Democrat before going Trump in 2016. Wisconsin was seven straight for Democrats before going Trump in 2016. Michigan, as I mentioned already, six straight. Uh, North Carolina has only gone Democrat once since 1976. That was the first time with Obama in 08. Biden is leading the most recent polls I saw out of North Carolina. Uh, Six of the previous seven in Iowa were Democrats. Bush in 2004 and then Trump in 2016. And Georgia, last six have been Republican. Clinton in 92, the last one to win Georgia. Could be a state that Trump loses here. I think that kind of speaks to what you just said. I think a lot of people have adopted this anybody but Trump mentality for 2020. I think a lot of people had the anybody but Hillary mentality mentality, excuse me, in 2016. You know, so I think that really the the 2016 election and this current election, it's sort of anybody but and that I think is really going to drive a lot of the trends here in a lot of these key states which brings me to this. Biden -180 minus -190 minus here. How do you think this whole thing plays out?
1: Yeah, I think Biden wins this election. I'll be surprised if he doesn't. Um I think it could be a bit closer than some of the polls show right now. I think at the end of um the last few days of the election things usually tighten up. You know, people who were kind of undecided come back to the side that they were on before. Um, You know, I think that this will be fairly close. I don't think it'll be an epic blowout or something, but I do think Biden wins. There's just so many ways that Biden can win where Trump really has to win a lot of states. All these states that we're talking about, battleground states, Biden doesn't have to win all these states. Trump has to win most of these states. Um, I guess I'll throw out a couple more positions I had too, because I did want want to say um, Florida, I do think, uh, leans toward Trump here. I think GOP turnout and early voting has been pretty good. If you can get odds of uh, minus 130 or less here, I lean toward Trump. Um, I see the odds have, have gone in his favor here in the last couple of days. So that one's, uh, you know, you'll have to look around to see if you can get price that good. I do think if you like a long shot here, Texas at plus 300 or so for Biden is worth a small bet. You know, I think that Trump will probably win Texas, but it's one of those where I think it should be, you know, plus 180 or something instead of plus 300. On the other side, I wanted to say, uh, GOP to win the North Carolina Senate seat, plus 125 or better some places. Um, Tom Tillis has been slightly behind there. Cunningham there had a sexting scandal that's really made this a lot closer. Um, the underdog has a real chance there. I think that'll be very close. So um, that's some of the ones I have. And then one more that is my single favorite bet um, that I was going to say, on Predict It, will Trump win every single state he won before? I bet no at eighty cents or eighty percent. I think this one is really, really close to free money. Trump only has to lose one state that he won before. There are so many of these that he won very close before um, that are trending in the other way. It would be very hard, it, you know. Um, it'd be like um, you know getting a royal flush or something like that. So I mean, it's one of those things where it's possible, but you know, at eighty cents on the dollar, you have to take no there.
0: Well, as I mentioned, I mean, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, almost all those states were pretty regularly Democrat for a long period of time, went Republican in 2016. Trump would have to sweep all of those and hope nothing else, you know, strange happens uh, with this time around. So, you know, again, that seems like a, a very, very good bet there at Predict it. one last one here, just cause I, I want to throw this stat out there. Cause I think it's fascinating here. You and I both from Ohio, Fort, presidential elections in a row the winner of Ohio has won the election and I noticed that you put in your notes here that you think that Trump wins Ohio but you also think Trump loses the election so it sounds like Ohio's streak is in jeopardy here
1: yeah I think this streak ends this year Um, I think that Trump has the edge in Ohio if you look at the polls in the past The polls have underestimated Republicans in Ohio the last couple times by quite a bit. Um, In 2016, the actual results were 4.2% more to the Republicans than the polling averages. In 2018, in the midterms, uh, 6.5% more Republican than the polls. So the pollsters haven't done very well in Ohio. They've underestimated the GOP. I think it'll be pretty close there. I think Trump probably wins Ohio. Like I said, I do think that um, Biden will probably win the election overall. I do want to note that still six days till the election. Election and this is 2020, so uh, there's been uh, crazy stuff happen here in 2020 so far. So if if I think anything changes, I will post about this on Twitter, so you can follow me on at uh, Twitter at Kyle Hunter Picks, and I'll I'll give some more uh, election thoughts before before the election actually starts. Well,
0: like I said, 14 in a row for Ohio picking the winner. The next closest is Iowa with four. So uh, pretty pretty big streak may go down here. But again, I think the primary takeaways here pardon the pun, is that, you know, we'll just sort of close up with this. Really, you know, as you mentioned, you study the demographics, you kind of look at the polling, you sort of look at how things are going, whether it's this election or future elections. It's it's about voter mobilization. It's about which group actually wants to come out and vote the most. And again, regardless of, you know, your personal thoughts on the candidates, my personal thoughts, or the listeners out there, When we're looking at this from a betting standpoint, I think the overarching theme here is that there's a lot of anybody but Trump sentiment. So I think if you do wind up with more Biden bets on your side, You're probably going to wind up making money here this time around. And that's something that maybe people didn't account for enough last year or uh, four years ago when it became the anybody but Hillary sentiment, the live lines were just, I will never forget watching the election results and watching the betting markets in 2016. I don't know if 2020 goes the same way, but what I do know is that everybody kind of underestimated this anybody but Hillary sentiment. I don't think the
1: anybody but Trump sentiment is being underestimated this year. Uh, I agree. And I think that um, if you do want to live bet it, there are going to be some sports books that allow for live betting too. Actually, I I should say, go ahead and mention that because you brought up a really good point in your notes. that I
0: don't think we got to real quickly talking about some of the states and and the early returns and the timeframes in which the ballots are actually counted.
1: Yeah. I think this is one of the best ways to make money when it comes to live betting. If you can live bet States, Um, First of all, you take advantage of overreactions, uh, like we already said. Um, The second one is uh, some states count votes in certain areas quicker than they do in another. Virginia is a great example of this. This is one I've made money on several elections in a row. Virginia counts ballots in those western and rural regions of the state a lot quicker than Democratic urban areas near Washington, D.C. That led people to think that maybe in 2008, um, McCain was going to beat Obama He didn't and it honestly wasn't very close. Same thing happened in 2012 with Romney and Obama. I was able to buy low on Obama both times live, won a really good amount of money there. Um, So that's a really good example of one. Uh, Another thing that I think you should do if you are going to live bet, um, especially if you're betting states, look and see county to county. Full election results to make sure that uh, you know it's looking similar to last time, or how different it's looking. Pennsylvania was a great example of that last time, where um, you had Erie County in Northwest Pennsylvania. Obama won at fifty-seven forty-one in twenty twelve. Then Trump won at forty-eight forty-six um, the next time. I remember seeing that, and that was one of the earlier ones counted, and everybody just kept thinking. You know, um, Trump's going to lose Pennsylvania because the polls said he was going to lose Pennsylvania. And you start seeing the actual results come in and you look at what it was before. You can look at a site called U.S. Election Atlas. It's a, a great site that I use um, a lot you start seeing the actual results come in, you stop worrying as much about the polls because these are actual votes, you know, a lot bigger sample size. You see counties coming in way more Republican or way more Democratic than what they were four years ago. That's really a a buy sign for uh, live betting. So that's a great example too. I think that there is real money to be made in live betting. You do have to be really careful because these things swing really fast. Um, You know, you think a sports game uh, swings really fast. You watch these Live betting uh, of the election, and you'll see some massive swings.
0: Well, again, I think there are a lot of opportunities out there. And, and as you told me, you went to bed at 9 or 10 a.m. the morning after Election Day in 2016. So I know you're
1: strapped in for a long night here next Tuesday. Absolutely. Uh, next Tuesday, it's going to be about 6 p.m. on Tuesday night to, to about 9 a.m. the next day. And I actually am so serious about this that I uh, We actually have uh, my my kids and my wife staying at another house that night. So it's just going (laughs) to be me. So uh, that that night alone, I probably won't be on uh, on Twitter or or, uh, out and about uh, being able to be seen. I'm going to be in my uh, little election bunker trying to make money. Well, and and speaking of
0: that, we probably will alter the time frame a little bit next week. I'll still probably release the show on Wednesday morning, but we may record on Tuesday afternoon uh, for Wednesday morning next week with Kyle for our edition here of ATS Radio. And uh, again, you know, I think the, the big takeaway here for everybody is that there's money to be made here. Again, take the emotion out of it. Look at what's actually happening. Look at some of those early returns. Understand the areas in which they're coming from. Uh, and there definitely are some opportunities to cash some very nice tickets, whether it's an emotional hedge for you uh, or just a good opportunity to make money uh, when it comes to the election. With that, we'll transition here with about thirty minutes left on today's show. I know we both have something to get to here, so we got to wrap up uh, around one thirty with the recording here. But um, transitioning over to the college football side, and you know this is probably why most people tune in for the show today. Uh, we want to touch on a lot of different things here. We'll do a couple of highlight video games. We'll do some regression stats. We'll do some other notes and box score things, stuff like that. I covered a lot of this ground on Monday, but, uh, Kyle, what are some of the things that kind of stood out for you from last week in college football?
1: So, um, you know, as much as I like talking about the election, I do love sports better. So I'm going to, I'm just going to say that I, I like switching over here to college football. Um, I think last weekend was a really fun weekend of of college football. There were a lot of really um, close games. Obviously, the Penn State-Indiana game is the one that really jumps out. And I imagine you already said this, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Penn State and Indiana was one of the most misleading box scores you'll ever see in your life. So, uh, Penn State, I think, had time of possession of, what, 40 minutes or 41 minutes or something like that. Had a yards per play edge of you know five-point-something to 3.3, I believe it was. I don't have it right in front of me but I know that Penn State should have won that game they had a ton of penalties um, ten penalties I believe they had to three or four Penn State really should have won that game on multiple levels and uh, you know as as a guy who's not really a James Franklin fan I thought it was kind of ironic that Franklin you know didn't didn't have his player go down when they could have won the game uh, Franklin has kind of been noted to be a guy that runs up the score um, in the past and Um, You know, maybe it was his fault. Maybe it wasn't his fault. And I know we could argue about whether the the officials made the right call at the end of the game, but that's really for a different show. I don't know that that's really the best thing we can talk about here. What I do think it is uh, important to talk about is Penn State should have won that game as far as the stats. You know, uh, Indiana, really nice win for them. I was happy for Indiana because they've been so close so many times. They've lost a lot of really close games. Um, They finally got over the top. You know, I I thought that that was one that really stood out for the weekend. Um, There were some other nice wins as well. As far as, uh, you know, box scores that really stood out to me, another thing I wanted to say was Northwestern put up 537 yards of offense against Maryland. So is Maryland's defense that bad or is Northwestern's offense actually that much better? Um, I think Northwestern's offense is a lot better. I think Maryland's also really bad. So it's some of both. But Northwestern playing quicker, they actually ran – Uh, 83 plays in that game. And they were playing slow at the end of that game, obviously winning by that much. So Northwestern's a different team this year. Uh, That one was one that really stood out to me. Boston College, who you correctly pointed out, had really been throwing the football consistently. And I remember last week, I believe we talked about it, that Halfley had even said, we can't keep throwing the football all the time. We've got to be able to run at some point. So last week they go ahead and run the football 44 times and threw it only 21 Having said that, the competition they were playing against allowed them to run the football a lot easier than what they will in the future. So are they going to be able to keep doing that? I don't think they're going to get six yards per carry every single week.
0: No, I, I don't think so either. And, yeah, I mean, they had a couple of games. I think they threw it, what, upper 50s, low 60s? You know, I mean, and Jerkovich was getting sacked six, seven times a game. It was It was not the Boston College football that we come to expect, Uh, so we'll see if last week was just kind of a blip on the radar or if it's something that they're going to look to continue to do here uh, as we go forward. Did mention Penn State, 488-211 to on the yardage in that game. One other one I will mention here before we get to the other ones that you've got, Kansas State. Man, we've talked about Kansas State special teams several times over on this show. They did have a pick six last week against Kansas. They also had two punt return touchdowns. They returned a punt to the Kansas 19. Kansas fumbled a punt return, so the Kansas State punt team got that one back. Maybe Kansas State's good. I I don't know, but, man, their special teams have directly impacted several of their games here
1: so far. Yeah, and Kansas State's a a tough one to rate for me because – on one side, you you could think that there may be a bit of a regression candidate in that their special teams have been so good. Can they keep being that good? Can they score that many times? Can they score on defense like they have been? However, Kansas State has done this a lot better in the past than most schools have to start with. So I'd be cautious about that. I will say Kansas State and West Virginia is a game that I'm kind of kicking myself. I didn't play the under right at the beginning. Um, That one's been bet down pretty hard. I think that's probably a good bet. Both of those defenses are better than most, and they play really slowly. So I think that, that one makes quite a bit of sense. A couple that I wanted to point out also. Hawaii had 53 rushing attempts against Fresno State, 323 yards, 6.1 yards per carry. Fresno State had four turnovers in that game. The thing that really stands out to me about that one is Hawaii is not the same team they've been in past years. Obviously, they have a new coach. And Todd Graham, uh, he wants to run more than he does throw. That's not usually what we've seen from Hawaii, so that's uh, pretty important to note. Some others I wanted to say that just really stood out to me when I was looking at box scores. Louisville had 9.3 yards per play against Florida State. Uh, that was the offense from Louisville that we were expecting to see throughout the course of the season. That really hadn't been that great. Georgia Southern only 3.7 yards per play against coastal Carolina, man, the chance of Clears just keep doing it. They're doing a tremendous job this year. Great coaching job. Um, Utah state with only 2.9 yards per play against Boise state. I think Utah state's in a lot of trouble this year. We've seen the line move against them this week. I think that's also the right line move. Um, they lost their, their quarterback from last year, obviously, in Jordan Love, and then Columbia was supposed to be their uh, quarterback, and he jets to go to Texas Tech, and they really don't have another option. I don't think either one of us are really big fans of Gary Anderson either.
0: No, not a big fan of Gary Anderson, not a big fan of Utah State, and another Mountain West team, UNLV. They had 2.91 yards per play. That line skyrocketed here this week against Nevada, who knocked off Wyoming last week. I liked Wyoming. You and I both had the over in that game. That came through, but uh, Wyoming taking a little bit of money this week here against Hawaii on Friday night. So just wanted to mention that game because we do talk a lot about uh, the weeknight games, but I don't think either one of us has that strong of an opinion on that one. And by the way, Coastal Carolina won that game, and their starting quarterback didn't play, Grayson McCall. And I believe I've seen this week on Twitter that Grayson McCall's not expected to play this week either. Uh, Coastal Carolina takes on Georgia State. That one's now two and a half. Total has come down quite a bit uh, without McCall out there for the Chanticleers. So not an interesting little injury update there. One other thing we'd like to take a look at here on the show, and this is by listener request. And we did this a lot last year. We do it for college basketball and college football. Talk about some regression metrics here. And you got quite a few of those to mention on today's show.
1: Yeah, I'll try to go through these pretty quickly, but Notre Dame on offense due for some positive regression in the red zone, 26 trips into the red zone, only 18 scores, they've gone for it a few times and didn't get it um, down in the red zone. So 18 scores out of 26 trips in the red zone 15 touchdowns, which is 57.7% and that's 71st in the nation so um, the fighting Irish. Uh, probably going to start scoring some more points in the red zone. That's been a problem for them so far, but pretty good offense, a team that you would think would start scoring more points there. Marshall, um, you know. This is a team that's not going to play very many more times this year, at least it appears. So, um, you know, we've talked about them as a possible regression candidate. They've played the 81st toughest schedule in the country, according to Sagarin, so far this year. They're 33rd in yards per play. They fumbled six times and lost only one, and they're converting 55.88% on third down this is one of the best regression candidates I've seen. Um, You know, I kind of wish Marshall and FIU had played this week because I think Marshall probably would have taken them to the woodshed and then we would have found a good spot to go against Marshall uh, at an even better price in the future because FIU is just that bad.
0: Yeah. FIU is not good. Uh, And and man, I, I, I keep trying to get in line with the market on Marshall and I can't do it. You know, I just, Their power rating right now is so inflated. And again, they don't really play a very good schedule the rest of the way anyway. But we've had them, we've highlighted them a few times as a regression candidate for a variety of different reasons. Uh, Hopefully, they do get some of their games in here coming up. And we do have an opportunity to go against them. One team you wanted to mention here with some regression numbers is a team in action on Thursday. They are a five point underdog taking on Georgia Southern. That is South Alabama. They've actually been a much better team than I think any of us expected here so far this year.
1: Yeah, South Alabama is 49.32% on third down so far this year. They've allowed 13 sacks and they've been in third and long quite a few times. I think this offense has improved, but they're not quite as good as they look so far this year. They have really played a weak schedule. To be honest, they don't play a great schedule the rest of the way either, but I don't think we can expect th- expect them to keep getting 50% on third down, especially giving up that many sacks. So that's one. Uh, the Pitt defense also positive regression. They've been put in bad spots this year, 10th in yards per play, but 31st in points per game. They already have 31 sacks. Opponents have converted on 35% of third downs. I think that'll likely improve over the long run as well. Uh, Louisiana, we mentioned them last week from an offensive standpoint. Um, defensively, they've allowed 50% on third down conversion attempts. Opponents have scored on 16 out of 17 trips in the red zone. And 12 of those have been touchdowns. Louisiana is a positive regression candidate on defense and offense. So this is a team to watch for sure. Well, the
0: other game here on Thursday night, Colorado state and Fresno state, Colorado state's game against New Mexico last week, canceled New Mexico going to San Jose state this week, even though they were supposed to be at home in Albuquerque, but A great number thrown out, and I got confirmation of this from friend of the show, Brad Power, so you'll hear on Thursday's edition of ATS Radio, teams that have played a game against a team that has not yet played 10, 25, and two against the spread here this season, that would apply to Fresno State, who did play, did get run over by Hawaii a little bit in that game last week, but Colorado State You know, I wonder about Steve Adazio here, and I wonder about what kind of fit he's going to be in Fort Collins and, more importantly, in the Mountain West Conference as a guy that was at Boston College. We've already talked about how Boston College, they ran the football a ton. They look like a much different team without Adazio this year. I'm kind of curious to see what happens with Adazio's first game here as the Rams are minus one and a half.
1: Yeah, I think this is a tough game to bet. Um, I think that's a great stat from Brad. Brad always has some good numbers on things like that. Um, you know, I think that, um, Colorado state is an interesting team because offensively they do have some weapons. I mean, O'Brien's a pretty good quarterback, um, are they going to let him throw it enough? He has good receivers. They don't have that good of a running game. Like you said, Adazio usually been a, a guy that really wants to run the football. I don't think that's the best way for them to win this year. So I want to see the play calling from them. I'm going to be watching this game. I'm not going to bet this game. I want to see what they do. I think if they throw the football a lot, Colorado State could be a good over team. I don't think their defense is that good. If they want to play quickly and throw the football, I think they could be a good over team this year. Um, Fresno State, I like the higher... Um, um of their new head coach from indiana i really think that fresno state is a team in the long term that could be a good team to bet on but they look pretty rough so far this year i'm not anxious to go and bet them either so uh for me this is one where i want to watch and find out something about the teams instead of bet on it
0: an interesting game on friday that a lot of people would probably just consider a throwaway game minnesota and maryland and i mean these are you know two big 10 teams playing on a friday night Minnesota not looking the part last week against Michigan, Maryland, as we talked about already, just got completely trucked by Northwestern, a new look Northwestern team that, you know, maybe they didn't really know how to prep too well for the Wildcats, but this number is 19 and a half, anywhere from 19 and a half to 20 and a half out there in the market with Minnesota, a road favorite coming off of just a ghastly performance, especially defensively, but You know, I mean, obviously, Maryland's not very good. So is is there anything
1: you can do with this game? If I had to bet this game, I'm going to bet the over here because um, both of these defenses were that bad. Um, Minnesota really lost a lot on defense, and I had them marked as a team that I thought would be a good over team this year. Uh, I'll be honest. I didn't think they were going to have that high of a scoring game against Michigan. You know, I was really surprised at that. Uh, Michigan's offense looked really good against them, and I think we're going to find out pretty soon whether that was more about Minnesota's defense or more about Michigan's offense. Maybe I was a bit too low on Michigan, but um, you know, I don't think we're going to find out too much uh, about them this week against Michigan State. Uh, I will say, um, you know, the Maryland team is not a team that I want to bet on. I, I don't trust Loxley. It's a team that I would want to bet against or stay away from. So. Um, you know, I can't take a side on on Maryland here. It would either be Minnesota or pass. At the same time, you know, Minnesota laying this kind of a number here on the road, I can't. I can't take Minnesota. So the only only lean I have here is over. I think the Mountain West game is is probably the most intriguing
0: handicap of them all with Hawaii and Wyoming. Wyoming quarterback Sean Chambers hurt on the third play of the game done for the year with a fractured fibula. They lost him halfway through last season, and their running game was quite potent early on in the year. Uh, they had, I believe his name was Holiday, Xavier uh, Holiday, and then um, also had, you know, Chambers, who's a dual threat type of guy. Then they had to go to Levi Williams, and, you know, things just kind of went off the rails a little bit from there. Williams wasn't bad in their first game against Nevada, but the defense just didn't hold up. A couple of interesting things here about Hawaii. First, I talked about this on Monday's show. Wasn't sure if Hawaii went back to the island or stayed on the mainland. Had a couple of listeners point out to me that, and I did see this on Tuesday morning, Hawaii stayed in Denver. They did not go all the way home. They stayed in Denver to try and practice where there was a blizzard on Monday and all kinds of things like that. But at least they've been in elevation. It's not the elevation of Laramie, but it's still some level of elevation for them to practice, kind of get accustomed to all the conditions and all of that type of thing. Then I thought, okay, Hawaii, right? I mean, we know for basketball, they play at least two road games at a time, sometimes more than that, just to kind of offset travel costs and whatnot. So I'm thinking, okay, they got to be pretty accustomed to -to back-to-back road games, right? They're actually not. This is only the third time dating back to the 2016 season that Hawaii has played back-to-back road games. And now they're playing here at 7,000 feet of elevation against Wyoming. I think it's kind of tough to take Hawaii here. And I agree with the line coming down.
1: Yeah, I think this is a fascinating game. This is definitely my favorite of the ones that we've talked about so far. Um, I had Wyoming marked as an over team for this year. And and the Nevada-Wyoming over was the biggest bet I've made so far this season. Fortunately, that came through. I have to say, Wyoming couldn't do anything on offense in the first half when Chambers went out. And I was really worried thinking that I wasn't going to win that bet. The second half, they come out and the offensive line is just knocking people off the ball like crazy. Wyoming's offensive line is really good. Um, excellent offensive line. I think um, you could argue they probably have the best offensive line in the Mountain West. So um, can Hawaii slow them down? I think Levi Williams is is uh, good enough. I think they will score some points with him. He actually can run fairly well, not as good as Chambers, but um, fairly mobile guy. Um, they're not a team that's going to throw downfield a lot anyways, With regardless of who they have at quarterback. I think it's really interesting to see that this total has gone from 55 and a half to 60 at some places. Um, I think that's largely because people see Hawaii as an over team because they play quickly. Uh, Wyoming, I, like I said, I do have them as an over team, but my number is lower than 60. So, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting to see that the market has been betting them up so much. So maybe I won't be able to bet too many Wyoming overs. If I were taking a side here, I would bet Wyoming. Uh, My line is, is uh, Wyoming minus two. And uh, you know, in this one, I think Wyoming's offensive line has a big advantage over Hawaii's uh, defensive line. I do think Hawaii will move the ball fairly well here. Wyoming doesn't play quickly, which is why I'd be worried about taking it over 60. Um, Wyoming's defense lost quite a bit from last year, but like you said, this is a bad spot for Hawaii, a really bad spot for them. Um, Wyoming's been really good at home and I really like Craig bowl. I think he's a very good coach. Uh, You see some of the second half adjustments they made last week, and he's been known to do this in the past very well coached team.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. I already took Wyoming plus two and a half. My line's Wyoming minus two and a half. And that's even with an adjustment relative to the market last week on both of these teams and also an adjustment down with Chambers out now for Wyoming. And I still have the Cowboys favored in this one. So I took the, uh, the plus two and a half, sprinkled the money line a little bit as well. And of course, this line is moving down towards my number a little bit here. All right, let's go ahead and talk Ohio State-Penn State real quickly, then we'll do a couple of highlight videos to finish up. Uh, both of us Buckeye fans, as everybody knows if they've listened to the show, Ohio State here in game 135-136, minus 12, pretty much the predominant number out there, 63 and a half the total for this one. And the first thing you texted me about Ohio State's win last week is they got to figure out the
1: run defense. They got to figure out the run defense. I think that was uh, a little bit misleading that they won by that much. Obviously they punched in the touchdown at the end, which was controversial. Uh, Ryan day then apologized for it afterwards.
0: You know what, um, man? Don't,
1: fuck that. don't
0: apologize <laughs> for that. You got a red shirt freshman in the game with a chance to get his first touchdown. If the other team doesn't want you to score, then play defense and don't get your ass kicked, which is exactly what Scott Frost said. He's like, look, if we don't want to get beaten badly, we need to play better. So I appreciate that response from him, but my God, man, it's not running it up when you empty, the, you empty the bench and they didn't stop you. Like what else are you supposed to do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I largely agree with that. I think that, you know, it would have been one thing if Justin Fields was out there running it in the end zone with 10 seconds left, but you know, uh, in this one, I think that Ohio state um, their weakness appears to be stopping the run. Maybe Nebraska is a little bit better running on offense than what we thought they were. I will say, though, Journey Brown out, Noah Kane now out for Penn State as well. I think Penn State is deep enough at running back that they're still going to be able to run the football fairly well. I think a key injury here is Chris Olave, um, still listed as questionable. I would guess he won't play. I don't know if you have anything uh, on that one. Uh, if it's a questionable, I think he probably will not play. I mean, this is a, a guy who is really important to the Ohio State offense, un- unquestionably their best wide receiver. Ohio State's deep enough that they can still throw the ball on Penn State. So it's not that, you know, it ends everything for them, but is a really good player um, in every aspect of the game. As far as this one, you know, I saw that Circa opened this line at Ohio State minus eight and um, was really surprised to see that, was wishing that I could have just bet that one right away. I think this one got as high as 13 and a half, maybe even touched 14 a couple places, which 14 was going to trigger some buyback. I mean, I think you had to know that. Um, And this one, I see the total being a bit high here. I think this one's a little bit too high of a total because I think both teams are going to run quite a bit in this one. Uh, We don't know exactly how fast Ohio State's going to play this year. Penn State didn't play overly fast in their first game. Um, I I don't have a strong lean in this game. I think if I had to bet it, I'd probably take the under.
0: Yeah, I I lean under in this one as well. My line's 13 here. And, you know, I think it's just going to be weird. You know, Happy Valley at night is supposed to be this – impossibly hard place to play. And there's going to be nobody there. And I think that's going to be kind of strange. You know, this spotlight game, Halloween night, two great teams from the Big Ten East, you know, and it's just going to feel watered down. And I, and I think it's going to make it a little bit tough. And Ohio State did start a little bit slow in that game against Nebraska. Justin Fields was good. The running game started very slowly. I think Ryan Day might use the first half to try and kind of figure some things out with his team and let the defense just kind of get better show more of an effort maybe a first half under kind of look in this one but I do think the under uh would be the way to go here all right let's do a highlight video Four game 137 138 Memphis and Cincinnati Cincinnati six and a half point favorite total has cratered on this game from 59 to 55 55 and a half again Cincinnati laying six
1: and a half here what do you think about this one Kyle So don't remind me about the total in this one. I looked at this one on uh, Monday. I really am disappointed with myself for not betting under 61 and a half. I know that Cincinnati games can't be totaled 61 and a half. Wasn't quick enough on the trigger on that one. That is my biggest regret from the openers on Monday. Um, You know, as far as this game, I think there's a couple of interesting things here. Cincinnati is a really good team. I like Cincinnati. I think Fickle's a really good coach. Um, Their offense is questionable. Their defense is really good. This is a Cincinnati defense that is excellent. Best defense in the conference. Uh, Memphis, a good team offensively, not near as good defensively as Cincinnati is. I think it's really interesting to see the market absolutely hate uh, Cincinnati last week and then have them favored by seven at one point this week. It was such a big swing. Um, I tended to think I was probably going to want to take Cincinnati in this game based on what the market was doing last week. And then they go and put a number that I can't bet Cincinnati here. I don't really want to bet Memphis either. uh, So I don't don't have any strong take on the side in this game. I still kind of think the under is probably the right side, if anything. But, you know, that line has really gone down so much that it's kind of hard at this point. Um, you know, if it's seven, I lean toward Memphis. If it's six or six and a half, probably if I had to take one, I might take Cincinnati. That just shows you. Um, and I will say that my number is lower than, than the current number. So I would be going against my number if I took Cincinnati. But I think Cincinnati is a team I'd like to bet on more than against here throughout the season. It's just uh, really interesting to see the market taking two different sides here.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll stick my neck out a little bit on this one. I played Memphis plus seven minus $1.20. I still like it at six and a half. Um, May even sprinkle the money line a little bit here. Like you said, I mean, Cincinnati, the perception of Cincinnati, and we talked about this, we did a highlight video on that ill-fated game between Cincinnati and Tulsa, and that was one where I had it higher than the market with Cincinnati, a bigger favorite. It opened four and a half. It went down to three. I think it even showed two and a half before the game actually wound up getting canceled. And I did make an adjustment to Cincinnati based on the market perception of this team. Last week, I had Cincinnati minus two and a half. That line flips to SMU minus two and a half. Didn't make an adjustment to my number because Cincinnati won the game running away 42 to 13. I have this game lined around to pick them. And I have not moved Memphis a whole lot this year. Maybe that's my problem. Maybe I should have. But even if I do, how do I get this game up to six and a half? I, just, I don't know how I do it. So I took Memphis here plus the seven. I think they're still the side. And again, it is, we talk about pace wars a lot in college basketball. It is offense versus defense and maybe defense wins out here. But, you know, I also kind of look at Cincinnati and say, you know, what, what am I going to get from this team? I have an idea of what Memphis is going to do week in and week out. I don't know what Cincinnati is going to do week in and week out. I, I had to play this one. My overlay says I've got something wrong with one or both of these teams in my power ratings,
1: but I'll worry about it after the fact. I took Memphis this week. Yeah, my line is a decent amount different than yours in this one. I have Cincinnati minus four. So um, I think you're probably higher on Memphis than I am. I think that Memphis is a quality team. Um, I don't disagree with you on plus seven. I think if you get a full touchdown in a game that I do think is probably lower scoring than what the initial projections were, getting a full touchdown is pretty nice. I could definitely see this being a, a three or four point game. I don't really like betting against Cincinnati, like I said. Um, The market was really low on Cincinnati last week, I assume, because of the COVID cancellation. Then Cincinnati comes out and just throttles SMU, and it seems like the market really uh, reacted heavily to that one game. So uh, no strong opinion on uh, this game from me, but uh, I can't disagree with Memphis plus seven. Like I said, I'm kicking myself for not taking the under. Well, this is a highlight video here on
0: ATS Radio. You can get our full editions of the ATS Radio podcast on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you stream and download your podcast content. All right, we'll take a breather for a second and wrap up with another real quick highlight video here. But before we get to that Texas and Oklahoma State game, Kyle, any other games that you want to touch on that are you know on the college football board here that you've taken a look at?
1: Uh, let's see what the, some of the shitty games are. <laughs> um, you, you know, I think Appalachian I think, state and UL Monroe, right. Rice
0: and Southern miss. They canceled like that. a good, they canceled a good one with North Texas and UTEP. I was going to play UTEP in
1: that game too. Oh man. Yeah. That would have been the one to pick. Now, um, let's, let's talk a little bit better game. LSU and Auburn here real quick. Um, I think this is surprising that LSU is laying three or three and a half here. I don't know. Um, This one, to me, I see uh, three and a half at at FanDuel. So uh, three is the most common number here, even juice three. Um, Are people just that low on Auburn? Because Auburn's been fortunate to win a couple games here. Um, You know, what do you have this line at?
0: Ooh, let me check and see what I have oh, this one. On. Yeah, you put me on the spot a little yeah. bit there. I didn't, didn't have my numbers up for yeah, this one. My bad. But you, well, no, the interesting thing is, you know, again, I mean, LSU last week I've got Auburn minus half a point, by the way, so virtually a pick 'em, which is pretty much where this game open. But you know, last week LSU doesn't have Miles Brennan, and everyone thinks, okay, you know, low scoring expectation, they're going to have problems offensively. It was anything but, and maybe South Carolina is just not very good, but. It was an interesting performance from LSU last week. And I will say this in general, across the college football board here, there are just a lot of overreaction lines. I feel like this week, like I have more power ratings overlays this week than I've had the last
1: two weeks combined. Yeah. And there's been several here that move away from my number like this one. Um, you know, I have Auburn minus one here. Uh, this, this is one where um I didn't really want to bet Auburn in this game, but if I get three and a half, I might have to bet Auburn in this game because um, I don't know that LSU has done enough to make me really want to lay points with them here. And I think that Auburn is a a team that is, you know, well enough coached that we could think that getting that many points at home in a key game has some value. I also think if you get a 65 and a half or 66, the under could have some value in a game like this. Uh, LSU has had such high scoring games this year. I know that that's a tough one to take but Ole Miss is probably the best over team in the SEC. They only got to 63 last week against Auburn. Um, I think Auburn is not playing that quickly and Auburn's defense is better than most of them in the SEC. So, in this one, I lean Auburn and under.
0: Yeah. Auburn 10 and six against the spread in a home underdog role. Since the start of the 2011 season, five of those, of course, in the iron bowl against Alabama, but they are eight and eight straight up as a home dog straight up. So, You know, if you like Auburn here, maybe you just go ahead and take that money line. I got one real quickly here in the SEC, Ole Miss and Vanderbilt. I guess there's a shitty game for us to talk about. Ole Miss, a 16, 16 and a half point favorite here. In their last 17 as a road favorite, they are 5 and 12 straight up as a road favorite in their last 17, 4 and 13 against the number. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they're going to lose to Vanderbilt, but not really surprised to see this line coming down a little bit.
1: No, I was going to say I. I think you might have to take the week off of uh, talking about. I'm the one that brings up shitty games. If you bring up Vanderbilt, I mean, I think you won up to me on this one. I I think that um, I can't I can't bet Vanderbilt. Uh, if I bet this game, I might bet the under, just thinking Vandy can't keep up. Uh, kind of like you know, most Ole Miss games are going to be really high scoring. Maybe it can't be quite as high against Vanderbilt, but I don't like anything about this game very much. No, I don't blame you. All right, quickly, I promised one more highlight video here. We'll do that on game 163,
0: 164, Texas, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State, three and a half point favorite, total 58 and a half. And much like our previous highlight video, I must have something wrong with the power rating of these two teams, but I'll be sticking my neck out here again on this game.
1: What about you? What do you think about Texas
0: and Oklahoma State?
1: Uh we might disagree on this one which could be nice because Ooh. usually we agree more than we uh disagree. I'm guessing you probably like Texas here. Um You know, what I like best in this game, though, I will say first is the under. If you can get 59, I think the under is a good play. Oklahoma State much better on defense than they've been in the past. Now, I do think their defensive stats are a bit skewed because of who they played against so far this year. But their defense is much better. And Texas, with a much improved defensive coordinator, is clearly better on defense than they have been in the past. Texas's games, we talked about this earlier in the year, they were way higher scoring than they should have been. So we've been getting some inflated totals. Another big play of mine last week was Baylor and Texas under that ended up cashing in. I think the under is a good play here. I like Oklahoma State a little bit if I have to take a side, and this one is not a power ratings play for me. This is just one that um, I have Oklahoma State minus three here, so it's not – I think it's a great value from a PR standpoint. This is one – I like Mike Gundy. Um, Not saying I don't like Tom Herman. I know everybody's going to say Tom Herman in the underdog role, and we're going to hear that a bunch this week. Um Oklahoma State, I think, is a really quality team with Spencer Sanders, a the quarterback. They're a different team than when Ellingsworth was in there. I think this is a team in Oklahoma State that is very backable um, with Spencer Sanders in there. Uh, Gundy's teams are about 60% ATS in about the last 12 or 14 years. So Gundy has been a really good, uh, guy to back, you know, I know he hasn't won big games that much, although Texas has kind of struggled in bigger games as well. So I think that Oklahoma state, the key here is whether they can run or not. You know, if you think Oklahoma state can run the football, some, you probably like Oklahoma state in this game. If you think they can't, you probably like Texas because Oklahoma state, not really a very good passing team, but they can usually run the football. So I like the under here. I'm going to lean to Oklahoma state. I'll make it quick. I got Texas favored in this game in my power ratings. I think Texas is one of those teams
0: where the, the perception of them is that they've just been so underwhelming for so many years now that people just look for any reason to start selling their stock, to start lowering them in their power ratings. I don't think the Oklahoma loss was really all that bad. And, you know, they've had a few performances throughout the year that have been questionable, but I really like Sam Ellinger at quarterback. This defense is dramatically better, as you mentioned already. They're creating a lot of turnovers. They're creating a lot of negative plays. They're doing a lot of the things you need to do in order to win football games. They just haven't gotten over the hump. And I think Oklahoma State is inflated right now because of who they've played, how they've looked in doing it. For me to make Oklahoma State a favorite here. I have to have them power rated as a top 15 team. And I just don't think that they are. So I like Texas here in this one. You like the under, maybe we'll make a side bet here on Texas and Oklahoma State. But I think a good breakdown here with professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter and myself, host Adam Burke, right here on ATS Radio. Make sure you get the full editions of ATS Radio on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you stream and download your podcast content. With that, Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com. What's
1: going on over at the website right now, man? So I'm going to run a special this week for ATS Radio listeners, uh, 299 bucks for the rest of the year for college football, 499 bucks for college football and NFL. I'm on a 20-8 and eight run here. It's been a really nice couple weeks. Uh, you can reach out to me, kyle at huntersportspicks.com by email, or you can reach me at kylehunterpicks on Twitter and mention the ATS Radio special. Also sign up for the free picks newsletter over there at huntersportspicks.com. Well, and if you're
0: not already following at Kyle Hunter picks, make sure you do, because again, six days away from election day, he'll have lots of thoughts on that, at least when he has time, uh, you know, to get some tweets out there as he's prepping to live trade the election here next Tuesday, Kyle, appreciate your time. As always, man, thank you so much for joining me and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks. Take care, man. There you go. There's Kyle Hunter again, professional better and handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com. Coming up on our Thursday edition of ATS Radio, we'll chat with professional better and handicapper Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. I'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. Step into the world of power. Loyalty